I know now what I want to say in my intro for my podcast. I'm going to start with a warning to other creatives. Create like it's your last podcast, last graphic, last painting, last blog post. There's so many forces out there that want us to be bland, and that is not possible with this fro. I have too many thoughts about celebrating us, reading what I want to read, pointing out donkeys, what links us together and shouldn't tear us apart. I also give you bonus content through Ten Fro's Bar on my Patreon and if you become a melanated nerd. I also will share content about getting the real tea on reality TV. Join me in this episode of Tim Froh is reading for the wild ride. And thank you for listening. So my show is experiencing some phenomenal growth still. I'm just grateful to um, the IT person at Podbean. I'm grateful to the advertisers. I'm mostly just grateful to the fans that are downloading my unique listeners and everyone that is interested in the podcast. I am ecstatic that I'm well on my way to 300,000 downloads. Who thought last year when I did the marketing push and I made some changes in the show that I would be well where I am now, over 200,000 downloads in a year. It's pretty amazing. And I still have plans to continue to grow, um, to get the recognition and to finally land either a deal, given the dearth of uh, writers because of the strike um, and other content. I want to continue to basically put my positivity into the zeitgeist and let people enjoy it. And I'm always just so happy when I hear uh, from other fans that they gain something and it encourages them to do and be creative themselves. And it, it just promotes change. And I'm thinking that is what this is all about, the promotion of change. I'm just excited about this opportunity every week that I get to basically sit on my microphone and create my and give my unique views and people are actually looking forward to it. I just wanted to also just continue to update that I will be on the road um, and I will hopefully be able to tolerate if I can get my knee pain under control. Um, my times at North Georgia wineries, I'm excited about doing that. And I'm excited about these next few weeks of the rest of the summer. It's like the rest of my life and basically up in my game. And also toying around with the idea of a a screenplay that I have in the back of my mind about um, two black girls going to BravoCon. Maybe that's the title of it. I don't know. But I'll let you guys know. Um, And just as always, thank you for listening and making my glow up possible. Butterfly in the sky. 
I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading tin full. I can go anywhere. Friends to know, ways to grow, a reading tin Reading tin Reading The more I continue to read of All Boys Aren't Blue, I'm captivated by his story and how he was able to melt. He's a, uh, an amazing, this uh, storyteller, George, was George's last, and he went by Matthew most of his life, Johnson, and I think he, and he also then transitioned to he. And now he identifies as non-binary, and he his his discovery of his non-sexual identity and his fluidity started at a young age, but he was extremely blessed in the fact that he was born into the family that he was. Black queer people, and just, well, let's back up. Being black and black male in this country or female in this country, you're not safe. Um, the last couple of years, I had, this is the most unsafe I felt in my own skin and in the South. Um, there's all this anti-being existence and erasing our contribution to the history and the building of this country, denying uh, the, the atrocity of slavery, all of these things are what makes me who I am, but it seems like the right-wing fascists are trying to rub that out. And also there was a time that I did not feel safe even within my own family. But George Johnson, he was very fortunate enough that he was not only marginalized because of the color of his skin, but also because he was a queer male. He was lucky to have been born into a family that built systems in place to protect him in society as best as they can and to let him develop into the um, non-binary person that they are, because that's his pronouns. I have to remember that to show him respect as I talk about his life and his book. But they also created systems to protect him within his own family. I'm at the point of the book where I'm trying to digest as he relates his a sexual encounter with one of his cousins. So even though his family made sure he was surrounded by love. They still could not protect him from all the monsters, even the monsters in his family. And the story is not so uniquely his, but it's his to tell. And they even created a safe place where he could, now that, and it seems like the person that raped him, which was a cousin, died, uh, was his first of his grandmother's children, grandchildren to pass away. 
He may have been murdered, I'm not sure, but he did attack that his 13-year-old in his own bed, in his own house. So I don't know. I don't know. And I'm probably going to just leave it there, and I'll probably talk about the second part of that, um, this incident, because it's towards the end of the book. Um, and I'm taking my time reading it because of processing, um, molestation as a pediatrician is hard enough, but I'm just reading this as a, uh, a girl and the violation is real. And I just, the, my empathy for him, my heart goes out to him, um, and how he recovered from that. That's the most important thing. When you're violated by someone that should be protect you, like in your family, how did you process it? And how did that incident either elevated him or made him who he is? And how did he recover? And is he still healing from the violation? Those are the questions that I ask. And I, and this book is so on so many layers. It's just so deep. I want to do it justice by being able to read it, take notes, and to process it. So this next part, I have the honor of interviewing Kathy Nichols from the Why Women Who Write podcast. And we talk about many things in a continuation over ending um, threatening policy or po policies that harm or po policies that only mean to be mean. We're, I'm hopeful we're seeing the downturn on that and the people that make up those policies. Um, she also speaks of her abhorrence and disappointment in the college, uh, the AP courses um, or advanced placement as it were, knuckling under to the right-wing fascist anti-woke agenda. And it was just a really good time. And I hope you enjoy this segment also. You know, I, and I was very disappointed in the college board, just disgusted that the college board caved to that. Because they're supposed um, it to is be. against, it's this anti-woke agenda. I sent you an article, a link to an article because I wanted to bring that up. That's a great segue. Do you know what woke means and do you consider yourself woke? Well, I think woke is a stupid word for being conscious of the shortcomings of myself, my fellow, women, men, my, the system. I mean, to say you're woke is, of course, of course I want to be woke. I want to be aware of injustices and I want to do something about it. It's funny because after George Floyd, we, I was talking with some women and we were like, we, we would really like to learn more. I, I'm not un, unfamiliar with a lot of things, but learning more. And then we I came across this thing where it says, what do white women do when they get really riled up about something? They start a book club. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to be more than 
than starting a book club. So we, we had a book club. Everybody's so busy right now, it's kind of fizzled a little bit, but it really gave us ways to be thinking. And for me, I've always been part of Moms Demand Action. The gun problem is historically more deadly for people of color, especially right. black people. And I mean, and black children and black adolescents. And I mean, it's terrible for everyone. I lost my son uh, at suicide by gun. Oh, but, I'm sorry about that. Well, it, it, of course, it was horrible. But and I was against I was for gun safety uh, legislation before that. Actually, I would be fine if, if we had to turn them in. But of course, that's never going to happen. And I'm glad we don't try to do that. But it, it to me, it's like almost all of these things go to this quiet, systematic racism that we don't want to say is systematic. And I read a book, we read a book called White Feminism by Koa Beck, K-O-A. And it was really an eye opener for me because I had been involved in the women's rights movement in college and it never crossed my mind that we didn't have any black people uh, beside us. It never did. Now I was in college in U University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. I was sheltered. You were, you went to UT yeah, Chattanooga, you I didn't know that. Yeah, I graduated awesome. from UT Chattanooga. I was probably the first class when it uh, aligned itself with the university system. It was just the University of Chattanooga and that it was private, but, um, you know, I went there, I had some great teachers, made me think. And I still realized I had never thought of some of these things. And that book was a, a real eye opener. It's, it's not an easy book. It's a, it, it, you need to read it slowly. But the idea that we, we're afraid of facing our own implicit bias. We think it makes us bad. It just makes us human. It makes us better if we think about it and do something about it. So, you know, Moms Demand Action, now I want to get involved in voter registration because I think what's going on in the South, especially, it's not just the South, though. Well, it's not just the South. It's all over. Um, mm -hmm. You bring up so many. Let's just start right there. There have been, uh, there seems to have been a run on the Voting uh, Rights Act. Uh, from the late great, you know, John. Um, so with Georgia and the last election, Georgia went blue, I honestly believe, through the advocacy and the activism of Stacey Abrams and a, a very small select few of women like yourself. Um, but it was in, it started in the, the larger city with Atlanta being leading the charge and getting re voter registrations. And they, they basically, even a, just getting people to register to vote and in the intimidation that was going on at the polls, getting the stupid polls to work, that type of things, you know, they were moving boxes in Texas and they were just doing all this crazy stuff. Um, and just starting there on an organic, like a grassroots level, just doing those things, making sure that people know that they don't have to go away in the county to vote. Where is your 
you can vote at the board of elections. What are their hours? You know, making sure that your vote gets counted and it is accounted for because it's all digital now. So that is so just what can you do at your level to make sure somebody right? That's what when you're woke and you know that there is in the purging of the the roles, the voting roles, um, those types of things, making sure people know where to vote or where to, and where to look it up. Those are the things that you can do just on a level. You don't have to be, you know, on some big platform talking about it. You don't have to be, that is, everybody can't be Stacey Abrams, but you can do what you want to on your level and making sure everybody around you in your core group, and then they can tell their core group and that's how it multiplies because that's how you, that's how Georgia helped Biden win Georgia. And that's how you do it. And you don't have to cheat. Like he asked them to cheat. Right. You don't have to cheat. And I found uh, a very, uh, I think, user-friendly way to do it. Like I learned it through Moms Demand Action and I uh, spread out a little. You can do the phone calls. And with Moms Demand Action, they are, and almost all of them, they're giving you the numbers of people who are at least one time voted Democrat for Democrat. Mm -hmm. So you're not calling people where you're going to get a hostile reaction because I know a lot of people are like, I just can't can't deal. And you're not going to change anybody's mind. But it's basically calling people who need to remember to vote. Mm -hmm. And those calls are very easy to do. You just, you can, you can, I don't remember. I got it in it through Moms Demand Action and then my name got on a list. So I was calling people about um, uh, pro-choice movements uh, in Arizona you know, they set you up, it's through an online process. And I'll, I'll, if you think your listeners might be interested, I'll check it out and see if I can find out how to do it. But you can Google, how can I make phone calls for? And I'm sure you'll find it. And then if you are okay with it, which I was, it was great because of course, lots of times you get the answer machine and that's fine. You just keep going, but it's very simple and you can do it on your own time. You can do it, um, once a week or whenever you can. And I feel like that makes a big difference if one person calls you and says, hi, I'm Kathy. And this is why I vote for, you can do postcards. I did a ton of postcards for it. And they were very personalized. We knew the name, I did letters. Mm -hmm. All of these things you can do on your own time or you can get together with friends and do them. You have a party and fill out postcards. And I think that things like that sound very simple but if lots of people are doing them, or if one person says, hey, I got a postcard, I didn't even realize they were having an election on this. Right. And uh, so, and there, you know, it was easy to go. I voted. So easy. I don't know how to tell people how to check and make sure they're on the voter registration roll. I would like to know how to do that. Um, most, the voter, like here in Tennessee, um, you basically can actually check your, your own status. Right. Um, going to the what it's like it's a dot org um because it's through the government whoever is the commissioner of the board of electors for your state you basically can navigate there and just basically check your status whether it's an active or etc for example i have i've been living in tennessee and i have my license and everything here and i've voted um in tennessee basically since um 2016 where was i did i vote in tennessee I, I think I actually came back 
specifically to vote because I still had, I'd been back and forth between 2014, even though I was in North Carolina. Um, but I didn't vote both places because I knew I had uh, election based on my address when I lived here through 2016. So I came back for that election specifically for that. So that being said, um, I was able to check through the state of North Carolina as well as through the state through the Board of Elections. And it's you just have your first and last name and a, you know your address and you can check. That's how a lot of people found out that they were purged from the rolls because they couldn't find it. it was all a lot of people had been made inactive. You know, that made me think of another way because I worry about uh, older people who are afraid of technology or whatever. But it seems like churches or um, libraries maybe could offer. Uh, I'm going to see if I can volunteer to do that. Offer actually help. the public library because most oh. of them have computers. Yes. Um, they actually will. Um, they have if, as long as they haven't been there hasn't been cut. They could actually do the search for them. That's yeah. actually a very good reason where to start um, your public library or even through your church. Yeah. All you need is a consistent um, internet access, and you can actually check. And, and and take the fear away from people that's who are afraid they get up, they don't know what they're doing or they have trouble seeing you know and all of it and that's a good thing they have the, the assist of visual assistance if you can't see it or having read it you know for visually impaired so that's right. awesome also you bring up a not a just this gerrymandering where they basically just redraw <laughs> the districts um basically that's one good thing that the you know, they did say the Supreme Court, I can't remember if it was Alabama or Arizona, one of the places they basically said it was unconstitutional. So, yeah, that is, a, that's huge and surprising coming from um, some of our judges. But exactly. yeah, I, I, I hope, um, that's what I'm saying. I feel like things are, they're getting so extreme and as a student of history, you you too, you know, I feel like we're going to go a little bit back. It's like going to be an overcorrection. Um, mm -hmm. This, and that's what I think, because this is a great place for we can land for this section. Um, there has been such an extreme swing to the right. I'm now starting, and I'm hopeful for the signs that we're getting ready to swing back because the reason why I say that is because there are these extreme candidates like DeFuro DeSantis that they're, it just seems that their campaign is falling apart really early. There's being a shakeup in his administration, like his, um, his campaign from the top down. And there, someone at top eight is their order, they're trying to say that she needs to be fired. Um, and people, they're not getting the donations. I don't know if people are, they've lost their jobs. They've demanded all of these um, and these things for the economy, but now that they're being suffered, so that people are not supporting this craziness. So when people stop giving their dollars, when they don't have that push, that's when I start noticing, when you start hearing these little niggles or shakeups and they start reversing course on some of their policies that they doubled down on in the beginning. And he's starting to do that with this last Jake Tepper interview. He basically says, I don't even know what woke means, but I've just been using it. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> that was one really? of the 
You have that a whole was, anti-woke campaign and you don't know what woke means. Uh, that was like one of his non-strategic uh, strategies was exactly. going after woke. I think, and I hope that, I, I believe this. I don't believe people are naturally bad. I think when cruelty is the point, right. that people will start to go, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This, I don't want to be aligned with this because I don't want to be in history aligned with this cruel, petty mf you know? Exactly, exactly. And when you stand for nothing but cruelty, Correct. It's, it's, the, it's your house is built on the sand. It's going. And that's very appropriate for him. And that's really wild that Florida has all those beaches that we're talking about saying we're starting to see the erosion, you know, from, you know, global warming that you don't believe in. Yeah. Um, so it's like sinking sand. And I'm, I'm just hopeful that we now we're getting ready to start seeing little signs of like little swing. Like if they, if this Supreme court can basically um, say the gerrymandering is anti-constitutional. Anti Ron DeSantis's, you know, campaign is falling apart. I'm hoping we're having another swing back to moderate middle, but not having a completely leftist right. um, swing. Because then we overcorrect and it'll take us a minute to come back. Yeah, I agree. And I really, well, it's like, this isn't DeSantis, but it could be. Uh, Abbott, you know, having overseeing the state troopers who are pushing migrant children into Correct. back into the water. Can people hear that? That's a whole different thing. That's not, I mean, you're still going to have some absolutely horrible people. We need better immigration policy. We know that because it's yeah. been in tatters for 30 years, but that's not the way. No, cruelty cannot be the point. Uh, and, you know, you can't, you can't have pe people don't want to push babies into the water no they you know and they may do it i mean some of the german soldiers did did what they were told but they don't want to do it uh so i i feel like if we can help each other see that and look at our own faults and and admit hey we were raised certain ways they're going to be unhealthy um reactions to that or you know ripples in ourselves but we can work on it you know and save the beaches, DeSantis. <laughs> stop being a jerk. <laughs> save the beaches. Make sure the people can um, get insured and not people running up out of Florida like a, their hair is on fire. I'm just saying. But if wh where do you want to be found for the listening public um, to, um, as far as social media? Uh, where can you be found? Um, and also another plug to your podcast. Uh, thank you. The podcast, you can get it everywhere, I believe, but Apple. Spotify is probably a good place to get it. It's Wild Women Who Write Take Flight. Uh, my books are available. I wish you would order them through independent bookstores. Uh, they will order them for you. But of course, down Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble will order them for you. They are a slightly nicer choice than Amazon, but Amazon is so convenient and quick. I get it. And um, so they're there. I have, you can find me at Catherine Nichols author, uh, my page, which I need to update. And I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with Twitter. I'm on Instagram as Kathy Nichols. I went with Catherine Nichols for my books because it sounded younger. <laughs> so uh, it was my first marketing trick. So uh, you'll find me at Kathy or Catherine. So 
And even though we're going to pause because at this point, when cruelty's the point, um, that you that cannot be your policy, sinking sand. And that's why I am hopeful for the next step. Um, however, I think I would love if you would be a, when you could look at your availability and we could actually take like a look at what other signs there are to this anti pre, this prejudice based cruelty based policy. I'm actually finding and I'm thinking about we need to basically come back and talk about that. We could we could talk about the problems all day, but if there's no solutions or if there is positivity that's coming about from it, that is what I want to basically talk about, if you're game. That sounds wonderful. This has been so good to talk to somebody who is thinks in a very, very similar way, but who also wants some positive solutions, even if they're little. You can start little and then you, you'll probably find you want to go bigger. Exactly. So again, thank you for joining me. The Shade Bunch, the Shade Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch. So now I'm spilling the tea about another not quite unreality TV, uh, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta is back, but I'm not sure how back it is. I love the addition of chaotic to this cast because he, I love his smile. I love his energy. I even love Jessica White. I didn't know who she was until they revealed that she's the ex-girlfriend of Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon is known to have 99 baby mamas. She was one of them. When she was, when she lost her baby, because she was about to be baby mama number 100, but she ended up lost her baby, but he was screwing around on her with somebody else. Now she's on this show, Safari's dumbass, uh, emotionally unintelligent ass, emotionally unavailable ass flirted with her and now she's on some woo-woo yoga retreat i don't even know where this retreat is i'm thinking it's in north georgia y'all it is on and popping in north georgia they got wineries their whole winery based resort i'm all here for it i need to get the ham sandwich out my house it's on now I got my breaks and my check and my oil change and windshield wipers change on my RV. I'm out. It, I'm going to all the places they went to and I'm fitting to ask all the people at the wineries about these fools because it, that's it. But I'm also noticing that contrary to the Real Housewives and Bravo black lebs, these women are a bit overdone and maybe it's just Sierra that is overdone. We got Spice who's recovering from the complication of cosmetic surgery because she cheaped out in the DR. She's getting ready to have another series of surgeries, but her livelihood is dependent on her performance. Now she has another hernia because 
probably because she went back too soon. But she could, she don't, I know she don't have no disability or she don't have any off time. But I'm looking at Sierra. She looks like an ant. She has a super small waist. She has what is an overdone BBL. Her thighs are massive. I can't. I just, this whole episode is crazy. But it looks like Love and Hip Hop Miami is coming back in, in on August 14th. Trick Daddy is back. It looks like Trina is back. But I don't know. I just listened to the NeNe leaks of it all. And I'm so tired of contrived storylines. Now, this woo-woo moment, I'm with it with Jessica White showing her journey. I'm also with Spice showing her recovery journey. But what I am not here for is a contrived storyline. Mama D and Scrappy and Bam and them, they need to leave us out of the group chat because I don't need to see any of that. I don't need to see that he hooked up with an ex-prostitute or as ex-escort. I don't need to see old pictures of her and no neck men's, um, uh, Benzino, uh, Benzino. I don't need to see any of that. I, well, and I don't need to see uh, somebody telling on um, him pushing, Donna pushing up on him when he had slept with her or not. I don't care. Trick Daddy said it himself. When they just concentrated on the music, that's when they were having fun and that's what, and it was good. That's what they need to be concentrating on. I need to see what Amy Luciano, Erica Banks, Spice, all of them are doing. While they're doing this, all this other stuff, I want to see how it affects the music. Also, I'm concerned about Rashida. That her wig is bomb. But I don't understand what Rashida is do and Kirk and their business is doing. She is now in her 40s. She hasn't released the album. And where on a probable street is that their business may be in jeopardy. So I think Kirk and his pedophile ass, because the way they got together was just really weird. But I think that I would like to see more along those true storylines because that's when Love and Hip Hop Atlanta was good. I don't know what's going on with Yandy. And I remember, was, it, was there a pregnancy scare with Little Mendeecees? But they're not filming that. And how can Yandy, who's like in her 30s, navigate a stepchild having a baby? Because when Little Mendeecees was had out of wedlock. You know what I mean? How does she navigate that? Because that's a real storyline. And if they don't want to show that, I don't want to see anything contrived because she need to be reduced to a friend of the show. She don't need to be in Atlanta as a full-time character if she's not going to be bringing the funk. It's, if they're not going to nene it up or uh, Teresa Gudice it up and give their all to the show, we don't really need them in the franchise because you're just going to be tearing it down like we are seeing in Real Housewives of Atlanta as well as Potomac. Contrived storylines don't make the show. It can only tear down the show. And you can run tell that. I said it. 
Nobody's paying me, so I can say whatever the ham sandwich I want. Did Scrap really put his paws on Sierra and her overdone plastic surgery bubble butt ass? Mm, he basically, it looked like he was just moving her out of his way. He definitely, I don't think he was the instigator, but I think he could have handled himself better. I also am very confused at why Chaotic is in the middle of this because I love his energy, but he is not the most calm person with his ADD butt to handle this. And I just don't understand why Sierra is just so bent out of shape unless she is turning up again just to get a storyline. Because if, it, if this is set up like Real Housewives, you only get paid if you get airtime. So by her rolling up, and also Erica Mena too, if you are only rolling up to get a scene, to get a check, go sit down somewhere. Because that's what it seems like she's doing. She got rid of left Eric, so now she needs to pay for that botched BBL her abdominoplasty, and her injections for her lips, her face, etc. She looks like a caricature, caricature of her firm, former self. And yes, I said it, and I can say whatever I want to say because they ain't paying me. So there you go. I really just thought of something as I watched this episode. I've started re-watching Real Housewives of Atlanta. I think what season is this? I'm on like back to season nine. It wasn't until season nine when Apollo had been in jail for almost two years. And then this was the blockbuster reunion when they found out that Phaedra lied to Portia about Candy admitting to wanting to drug and rape Portia. This was pretty dope, but I realized several things that Portia's been lying for a minute. I found her inability to tell the truth and to try to backpedal in her relationship started around season eight, season nine. Actually, it started when she first came on the show, season five, right when she presented as a great stepfoot wife to Cordell Stewart, and she was lying the whole time. She basically would not own up to her free and crazy sexuality. I'm wondering, I also think, yes, this is before Portia hooks up with Bolo. There may have been a threesome, I'm not sure. But she would never own it. And that's the thing about her. She's been lying for a minute. Also, Sheree has always been one of those people that is stupid, but she wants to present as smart. And she just be getting stuff wrong. I don't know if her husband choking her out or him fighting her. She has some close head injury. 
I think she is completely incapable of getting the truth right. She likes to be in the midst of mess and she is a pretty mean girl. It is hard to actually like her because she's really secretive. And I don't know if she's secretive because she knows she can't get the lie correct about that she wants to portray. And that's why she basically talks really low and she tries to keep her own business on the DL because she may not remember whatever lies she tried to tell and she knows she can't get it right. And so there you go. I wish she would just own up to the fact that she's cheap, she's completely wrong, and she's not as smart as she wants everybody to think she is. And I realized that as far back as season nine, and I still cannot completely understand why, why in God's heaven she has, she was put on pause for all those years, came back put on pause, and then came back again, and now she's screwing up season 15. I don't, I don't understand. Um, I think the re whole revamp of Roni, Real Housewives of New York, is working. I wonder who they're looking at, who's not faking the funk, who still has the bank account of Candy Burris, but is about 20 years younger than she is. I'm just saying. The time of Candy may be over to a certain extent because this season's crew is really annoying me. Marlo has been annoying from the beginning. She doesn't know how not to go low. And her making up her storyline with Scottly, rehashing all of that mess about her brother, excuse me, her uh, nephew or a relative passing away and then re trying to flip it to make it Candy's fault because she has no storyline. Her maybe renting a date with Scottly, I just don't. He don't deserve that. Candy Burris don't deserve that. And they also, she deserves, She if she doesn't really have a storyline, they need to revoke her peach. That's all I got to say about Marlo. Revoke the peach if you cannot have a real unmanufactured storyline. So why am I up so late recording? Because I decided yesterday that I wanted some yellow rice and beef kielbasa. I had all the ingredients except for the yellow rice. So I had to wait for a late delivery from Publix. But homegirl was all right, Johnny on the spot. She packed my stuff, got it here, even though it was like 7.30. And I don't eat usually past 6 o'clock, but I had to roll with it. But I decided to not only continue to start cooking the kielbasa, I had braised it um, in olive oil and unsalted uh, Kerrygold butter. Then I added onions, my peppers, sweet peppers that I raised on my lettuce grow, as well as the added oregano and basil that I raised. And then um, I had some leftover portobello mushrooms that I added right after I brought the water. I added water and brought it to a boil. I've been letting it cook down. I probably shouldn't add it more water, but I did add a little bit extra water. Um, and when my Zatarans 
yellow rice came, I added first the one box. It wasn't enough, so I added the two. Now I know I'm going to have to separate it out probably in some separate bags. But that is what I'm eating today as well as what, and I'm having just regular Corona and my usual martinis. I'll probably add another bit um, as I um, progress throughout today. But I mean, my old standby is Dirty Gin Martinis and having a fresh cold Corona, you can't beat that. And now I'm also planning going to Blue Ridge where Marlo and them for Real Housewife uh, actually ended up and she ended up throwing everybody off her trip. And I guess this is a great lead in because I don't know how many of y'all have watched the Carlo King interview of Nene Leakes, but girl, freaking fraud. The door is closed. The door is closed. You better call Lyrone, girl. There's so many great Nene-isms, and I was reminded of several things this recently. The as Carlos King interviewed Nene Leakes um, this past week proved several things: how great of an executive producer he is, why he he's well earned that title. Um, and how he worked hard to get probably the one of the hardest people to get on camera after her fame with the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And after listening to the interview, watching it on his YouTube channel, and then watching it again on, and listening to it again on his uh, podcast, I can understand and I suspect after a recent interview with him on I think Entertainment Tonight or something like that that we could be getting a spinoff and I just I think we may be here for it because I think it's that lawsuit even though it was dismissed recently effectively has put, has she, Nini is clearly not going to come back to Bravo, but I do think that she has still enough of a story that she could go to a competing network and basically re try to get Real Housewives of Atlanta back to where it was because right now, with the contrived storylines, in the tired storylines, I think the fans of the franchise want to see better for the show. I don't think that they're going to allow her to do it because it is obvious that they don't recognize and will not recognize her for what she is. I used to say, I used to call people the the Teresa Goodice that was Nini, the Teresa Goodice of Atlanta. No, Teresa Goodice is the Nini Leaks of New Jersey. That show 
premiered not too long after the OC, but it did set the standard and it was the ratings from this show itself when she was a cast member that put Bravo on the map. Nobody will ever admit that. But the breakdown of the ratings and the subsequent seasons and when Carlos King took over is phenomenal. I also learned some other side things. Carlos King is actually married to an African man and he basically came not only to do the show, but it was to when his African was actually in Atlanta. Didn't know that. And she shades everybody in this interview. I think Nene Leakes is batshit crazy, but she made some very valid points. I think, I don't know if her inflated self, if her self-worth is really inflated. I think it's duly earned. And these reality shows have an instant of making the lead caricatures bigger than they actually are. They're not the old school Hollywood stars, but she's made, she had some really good acting gigs. She had a long run. She did Broadway, she did TV, um, and then she had her own comedy show. And she's always been a scrapper. She's always been on the hustle. And it's sad that she did enter into a contract that I don't think that would keep on giving. She, and it also, it was funny that the season one or season two, when she was left off the list on purpose from Sheree Whitfield's party, that it was on purpose but it did set the standard for putting her on the map because she went from that party to a nightclub and that the rub is she's the only one that's truly left. She, she's, she's put on, actually, I don't think she's ever going to get a contract to get back on the show, but I do think she's fodder for a spinoff. She's she was the anchor, um, and I did have watched and rewatched episodes where she was part of it. When she was off, it basically set the whole tone of the show off. From her spitting popcorn at Kenya Moore to her going off on Portia wanting to fight, all of those things actually happened. And then when she basically shut down at the reunion and refused to talk and told production to come get their computer, she just did the most. And she did, and it, she never got that Andy and the network were her bosses. And yes, it was a job, and yes, she did show up, but she made it really difficult because when she didn't want to tape, when she didn't want... She basically signed her own pink slip. And 
the thing about her, she's hilariously funny. When she is your, and Cynthia said this, when she's your friend, y'all can friends, y'all kiki, y'all can have fun, but when she's off kilter, when she hasn't seen a, a chemical imbalance, she's not. She's not on, and it's, and you can't get anything from her. And the only executive producer that could get, has and did get any good things from her because he could rank her in was Carlos King. And now he has his own production company. And unless he takes over the true production of that show, and that he's the only one that could actually bring her back, keep her in check. Because he recognized he's an actual fan of her and he respects her and they're actually friends. And she's not about the shit. She doesn't have to manufacture her life. The thing is, her life is what makes good reality TV on the real. She don't have to fake anything. She and she don't have to she had some when Whitney Williams says she had a well paid for face. She still looks extremely good. Now I think she gets Botox. She may have changed her makeup artist because they had her face beat to the gods. But she's going to show up. She's going to tape. But she's not. But the thing with her is when she is completely off kilter and off meds, I think <laughs> she's just not controllable. And that last thing when she basically kicked Portia and Candy out of her closet, she was really off kilter. She's proven that when she she has a difficult time balancing the psychiatric part of her existence. And that's the thing is she's going to have to ring in. She did have a true beef with Kenya Moore. And the only thing is she never believed that her relationship with Walter was real. She never believed. Kenya's relationship with even Mark Daly was real. And I just realized they've been going through this divorce for four years. It's just been a lot. She believes that Kenya is good for the show, but not when she's making up storylines. And even with all her idiosyncrasies, I think if he she could land in a position where people could give her her props and do it solidly and with no judgment and do it, you know, with realness, I think, and she could find her place. That's why I think they could do a, a true spinoff on the house that Nene built. Um, and it, it would, it would be the most, um, kiss ass show. Um, it would just be one of those shows where people would just recognize that she is the star of the entire Real Housewives franchise and she could, and it, if they, and if the other people were willing to share an uncontrived storyline, they could be on the show. She made some good points. She thought she knew it was a privilege to be a cast member on The Real Housewives of Atlanta. 
She also knew if they bought it and did it well, all of them could get paid. But the only but the problem is she knew she was the biggest one, and I don't think she would be okay with everybody getting paid the same, and they would have to pay homage to her at her place as the big dog. I don't think her ego is keeping her probably from being on an ensemble cast. Um, I don't think nobody is going to sign up for and be able to tolerate that level of abuse um, and to have to pay tribute in a pint of blood every time you work with this lady because she don't know how to, her mouth is reckless when she's off and she will be go below the belt and she's loud and she's like seven feet tall. Nobody ain't trying to get jacked up and choked. I'm just saying, no, we, none of us wear wigs and we're not Kim Zolciak. I don't think anybody would be willing to sign up for something like that. I don't think that back room behind the back, um, cutting a behind the deal is worth it to other people that were formerly of the housewives because granted, they don't have as much clout, but if you're not going to share the reality of your lives, you know, like if Sherry White, AKA Sheree, MF and Whitfield had shared the true details of her disastrous marriage to Bob um, and the abuse and what she had went through. And even the Lisa, all those other, the first two women, because now all of them have a divorce, that would have made for better, for better TV. How all of them went from 15,000, 10,000 square foot mansions to uh, rent control apartments, you know, renting, you know, and not just showing the fabulousness of their lives, but also the dirty details how that her son got pulled over and all of those things, sharing those types of details, re truly real and, and showing that on camera. I'm interested in what's gonna go on in part two of this interview because I think she's going to basically throw more shade, but she's going to tell the reality. She's going to tell what we're all thinking. Who doesn't deserve to be on this show? I think she is going to make the case that the current cast on season 15, they're going to ruin the show if there's some changes not made. For example, I think that Sherry, Witt, Sherry White needs to be put on pause again or fired because I don't think she's telling the truth. Her face is changing, and I don't, not for the good. She's looking, I don't know if it's um, edema or injections going crazy. If she's still, if she's using the same plastic surgery as her best friend Kim Zosiak, I see that she may say that Marlo is a good friend and she should have remained a friend of the show. They need to can her peaches or revoke the peach and demote her back to friend status. That Ralph's cousin, what is her name? Courtney, 
she needs to be gone. She has no place on the show. She only brings drama and division. I'm not sure why she is there. And also, Drew Sedora, I know she's going through a divorce, but she may need to be put on pause because we can't get a straight story. She lies worse than Phaedra. And what is she going to lie about? And she keeps lying. She won't own up to her truth. And this whole thing with her and Latoya is stupid. You remember when Nene said that? Come on, girl. That's stupid. Stop. That's why we need her, because she has some great one-liners. I love Nene Leakes. I think she is unstable. She com was completely firing on all cylinders during this interview. But I think she may, I think I'm going to predict, if they talk about the second part of the interview is tomorrow, um, drops tomorrow on King, um, Carlos King podcast, as well as part two, probably on the YouTube channel. However, and I'm excited about listening to it, but I'm interested in what she thinks would save the show. But I think, uh, I think I'm going to predict who she thinks needs to be removed from the show. And also with Candy Burris' schedule, and now I see the things with the shy, she may also say if Candy really doesn't have time to film and to be everything that she needs to be because it's going to make her sick, she may need to take a break from the show. It's not a bad thing, and it shouldn't be seen as a demotion. It just should be seen as she has other priorities. She has two little kids. And she's make and she's making it for herself to be on the cast of the shy. She can't be everywhere and be able to be full time and devote the time to the show. You know, you can see the people that have true relationships like Nene and Cynthia did before they fell out, and Nene and Portia did before they fell out and fell back in again and fell out again. Even bringing Eva back. This is a cast that would make sense to me. Um, and without, and throwing in maybe some uh, light-skinned quiches and people like that, that like some fresh blood that would make Real Housewives of Atlanta on fleek. You could bring back Nene, Cynthia, Candy would be part-time, Portia could be part-time if she wasn't on her private jet with her new husband. And their kids, maybe, I could see, what's her name? In her fluid state, um, Noelle, C Cynthia's daughter. I wonder if Riley would come back, but she, and seeing her in school and being real, but she's kind of skinny. I don't know if she has an eating disorder, but that's just not me for me to talk about that. But if she did and how she's dealing with it and her mom such is in the public eye, but that would be real. That would be a different storyline. And it would be a real storyline and how they're all dealing with that. And she could deal with that if better, if she could pull back. And how, if you're really not that touchy-feely and your kid is going through something like that, how, what would that look like? And to be in the real and having that stuff that would keep, you know, rain people in. Portia, you have to watch her because she 
tends to only want to take the fluffy, happy, non-messy stuff. And I, that's why I think she would have to be relegated to a friend, a part-time or a friend of the show, um, because she can get into that lying, contrived storyline, and that would be a problem. The only people that could really rein her and keep her on the straight and narrow are her mama, sometimes, if she's not recovering from cosmetic surgery, or her sister, when she's not woo-woo and meditating, and Mimi, they would allow them to keep it real. And all those other people either need to be demoted to friends of the show, put on pause. We don't need another negative Betty trying to beat up a storyline or trying to cause some mess by forwarding, um, secretly recording people and forwarding videotapes. We don't need that kind of drama. And we don't need any people falsifying a narrative Again, contriving a storyline. That has been her point forever. Not being real and being being real and being, you know, and and showing up to work. But you have to do the work from a psychological standpoint to basically to keep on a level and have the familial support um, to keep you sane and if you're going to go through and be browbeated all day long and while you are taping for three to four months of your life, you know, because it's only a snapshot of your life, but the reality is when the cameras stop rolling, what work are you doing to keep sane? And if all of them could do that work, that cast could work with a couple of fresh faces that are not trying to beat up a storyline or not trying to sow division to get camera time. And that's why I have a problem with Marlo and that Courtney girl. They're just trying to sew up, sow division. And it's not adding anything to the story and to the franchise. It's only retracting from it because of the negativity, because of the false narratives, and because of the ill will. That's how you destroy a show, by having those type, those are the only type of people you have on a franchise. Look at OC, and why is New York getting a refresher after they kicked everybody off? I think that would be the ultimate cast. It, they proved it when, what was it? I think Carlos King said season six, was the highest rated on Bravo with 5 million views, um, you know, like new or, or um, devoted viewers down to 500. Their ratings are so below everything or everyone now. Again, contrived storylines. Ain't nobody willing to see, have them meditate and pay for a trip to Portugal to watch them fight over dumb crap and watch Drew lie. Who wants to watch that? I think probably the after show got more uh, higher ratings because it's just like the, what is it? Um, it's the Cliff Notes version of the show because the show is so un, 
interesting. That's that's the thing. It is just so uninteresting. We know they're going to, uh, Marlo's going to cause some mess. We know Drew's going to lie. And we know that Courtney chick is going to turn up over something dumb. And even Kenya, if she would just go realistically go through her journey of truly divorcing Mark and what they're truly going through, however, he could also, if she really did that, he could come after her salary because she uses his name and uses that little girl Emmy. And that's her storyline, the divorce. But I'm getting tired of that too. So with that said, the Real Housewives of Atlanta need to do better, but I'm also interested in what Mimi is going to say on part two of this interview, which drops tomorrow. So, and I'll probably have more to say on that as next week rounds um, on next week's episode, my comments on that and comments on other people's comments, because that's how it usually happens. It may just break the internet. I'm just saying. Oh, and why is the inter that interview higher rated or more views than the actual Real Housewives of Atlanta? Let's just start there. Let's just start there, y'all. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that, haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint-hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.